place wherein it's, you can't predict. You can try and you can follow your instincts and do the best you can. Do you follow your instincts? Do, do you say to yourself, this is what I like and this is what I want to do and is the decision yours or does someone help you make the decision? I do follow my instincts, that's all I have to go by. You need a temperament that neither derives great pleasure from being with the crowd or against the crowd. Because this is not a business where you take polls, it's a business where you think. Man has gone far toward matching some of the capacity of the human brain. He has done it with imagination. All right, my name is Sydney Collin. Uh, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Dayoro Devices. Uh, it's a local medical device startup. We make a device for people with Parkinson's to help them overcome a symptom called freezing of gait um, and essentially help people with Parkinson's be able to walk, retain mobility for longer. Let's start from the beginning. I studied biomedical engineering at Cal Poly. Um, during my second year at Cal Poly, I um, met a local veteran here in Slow. Uh, his name's Jack Brill. It's actually his funeral that I was at this morning. He passed away last week. Um, he lives with, lived with Parkinson's disease and the worst symptom that he experienced was freezing of gait. Uh, he had no effective solution to it. He came to Cal Poly um, looking for a biomedical engineer specifically to help him create this product. Um, he knew that the visual and auditory cues worked already. He's been using them with his physical therapy, uh, with his physical therapist in clinic for years, but he didn't have anything to be able to take home with him to be able to walk, you know, to the bathroom by himself, to be able to walk around the block with his wife. Um, and so he came to Cal Poly and asked for help in building a product. So I met him through one of my professors. I worked with a master's student at the time. So I was a, I just finished my second year in biomedical engineering. Um, I was partnered with a master's student in mechanical engineering, uh, and we made this device together for Jack. Uh, it took us, we stayed in slow over the summer, it took us about three months to get the first prototype done. Um, and the, I still remember giving it to him for the first time and seeing him be able to walk. I, I didn't really understand up to that point. I knew that there was research behind it. I knew the idea behind how the visual auditory cues work, but it was crazy how night and day it was to see him not be able to walk to being able to walk just with a laser line and a metronome. It's honestly insane. So uh, once I saw that, I realized how big of an impact such a simple device could have. Um, he, he brought me to a local support group to show off this new technology that he had. Um, I met 15, 20 other people who all experienced this, came up to me one by one saying, hey, you know, my name is so-and-so. I also experienced freezing of gate and have no effective solution. When can I get a prototype? When do I get one of these devices? Um, and... I just remember leaving that meeting thinking, honestly, thinking, having this huge responsibility on my shoulders of like, if I don't do this, no one's going to, and people need this device. Um, so essentially, uh, that's when I decided to start the company. I brought on uh, 
business major, I was actually introduced to him through John Townsend. Uh, once I decided to pursue this, the master's student wasn't interested in pursuing a business at all. So he went to go study medicine at Johns Hopkins. And um, I went to go find a business partner to be able to apply for the accelerator. So uh, I met, I had to go find a partner to do the, to do the accelerator. And I asked uh, the only business professor I knew, John Townsend, uh, if he knew anybody who would be interested. So I went and pitched a couple of his classes. One of his classes was a MBA class. Um, and I remember getting in front of the class and a Will tells the story. Will's my, my co-founder, my business partner. He tells the story much better than I do, <laughs> but he tells the story of me going up to the front of his class, explaining something that he had no idea what I was talking about, drawing like a laser on the whiteboard talking about neural pathways because I'm a huge brain nerd. So I was talking about, to me, the biggest issue is like, okay, I need to convince people that these visual and auditory cues work. So let me explain the mechanism behind how changing the intention behind the movement changes the neural pathways that are being activated, all this stuff. And I and Will says that he just had no idea what the hell I was talking about. <laughs> but somehow I convinced him to come meet with me afterwards. Um, and I met with him, interviewed him called him back an hour later and was like, can you just come help me fill out this application? And then we filled out the accelerator application together. And uh, that was that. Um, so then we did the accelerator together, raised some money. Uh, we won the, the angel conference. So that was an investment in our first round. We actually had already raised about 400,000, no, $200,000 going into the angel conference. And then the, we won the angel conference and then um, finished out that round pretty quickly. Um, and then, yeah, let's see up to this point, it's been the first round was, was 500,000. Uh, we got all that from angel investors through the hot house. Hot house was an amazing, amazing resource for us. We met most of our advisors through the hot house. We met most of our investors through the hot house. Um, and they really helped us get to where we are now. I mean, I'm an engineer. I had absolutely no business background. I did not know what uh, customer acquisition cost was going into this. I did not know what a customer journey was. Uh, you know, those, I didn't know what a customer archetype was. Like I had to figure all of that out. Um, and now I'm very involved in the business side of things as well as the engineering and manufacturing side of things. Um, and a lot of that is thanks to the resources that Cal Poly and the, and the hothouse were able to give me. So if you guys, um, have a technical background, but are still interested in business, I think that you absolutely can do that using the resources that Cal Poly offers. Um, really, really amazing resources and network that they have. Um, that's a very high level overview of where we're at now. We raised another million dollars and, and then and now we're here. We launched a product. I guess that's kind of an important part of it. Um, yeah, here's our product. So basically it uses a green laser line and a metronome to help somebody walk, essentially. Uh, attaches onto any cane walker or walking pole. Uh, you visualize yourself stepping over that green laser line. That change of intention changes neural pathways that are being activated and allows you to bypass the damaged neural circuits that are causing freezing of gait. Uh, the metronome, kind of the same idea. You try and step to the beat of that metronome and that 
change of intention, changing the way that you think about that movement changes the neural pathways that are being activated in your brain and allows you to overcome that movement. So right now where we're at, we launched the product in April. We have um, our device in about 30 clinics across the US. We're selling in five countries, the US, Sweden, Denmark, Australia, New Zealand. We're about to start selling in the UK um, and in Norway as well. Uh, we have about five full-time employees. We have another like 15 part-time employees uh, or contractors, part-time employees or contractors that we work with. Um, so that's kind of where we're at right now. Any questions? I, feel, I see some questions in the chat. So I'm just going to stop babbling here and answer some of these questions. All right, uh, Camila, if you want to um, start off. Hi, Sydney. That is incredible. Raising 1 million. I'm so like, I just, wow. I'm just like, I'm so proud of you. And I know that's coming from like a younger student. I'm just amazed. Like, I'm shocked. So I was really curious as to how your research played a role into figuring out uh, specifically the laser and the metronome, because did the research like pinpoint towards that? Or did you have to figure out that solution outside of the neurological research? No, actually, there's over 50 peer-reviewed articles that have been published behind specifically a metronome and a green laser light. So, so honestly, it's crazy that this device doesn't exist already, you guys. Like, there's so much research behind the efficacy. There's physical therapists have been using this exact technology in the office for over 10 years. There just hasn't been an effective way to take it home. So all we did was take that research and make a device that people can actually use. That That's a trend that I've seen over and over and over and over again is, you know, there's so much that researchers do, but researchers do not make devices. You know, like there's, there's a break there between what the research shows, what the, where the knowledge is of what things can help versus people actually building something to help people. Does that make sense at all? Yes. So that connection from the research world to a, com a commercialized device um there's always a gap there um and, and there's so many opportunities in there not just in the brain research world but um in all sorts of places in the research world to be able to take the knowledge that we've learned from research and actually commercialize 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 a device uh so that people can actually benefit from that research does that make sense thank you thank you so much yes it makes yes it makes sense uh, Allie. Hello. Uh, thank you. I want to say thank you for coming and talking with us. My question is just what was the most difficult part in your experience of like starting a company, like the early stages of development? What was some, what were some of like the setbacks or the like barriers that you had to get through? Good question. Um, so originally the first prototype that I made, we had to kind of go in stages and you'll see this, this is kind of how all startups are, um, at least generally the trend that I see in startups, if you're developing a product is you kind of go, you take two steps forward and one step back and two steps forward and one step back in, in the way that you develop your product because 
you know, we had to build out a prototype to sh get the data that we needed to show investors that it works. Um, and then, okay, sorry, this is not making any sense. So we had to get a prototype built that just works. It wasn't the device that we were going to go to market with. It wasn't, you know, it was like this big, ugly box, but we had to have something that we could go test with people to show investors that it worked, a proof of concept. Um, and then we'd have to step back and say, okay, we built something that works, but it has all these bugs in it, it has all these issues. Now we have to pay somebody that has more knowledge. Cause I made the first prototype. I did all of the coding, all of the electrical engineering for it. But this is after like one coding class that I took and two or three electrical engineering classes. I had no idea what I was doing. It was all just like <laughs> looking up on the internet, how to do this, copy and paste the code and then edit it to what I need. Right. Um, so there was a lot of times where I'd say, okay, now I need something a little bit better than this to meet this goal, to do this thing. But every time I did that, I had to restart with somebody new. Does that make sense? So I hired an electrical engineer to make the, to make the device like half the size that it was before and to recode the whole thing um, and to make a new PCB, a uh, printed circuit board for us. Um, and that was great. We hit the next milestone. And then, but then we hit the limits of what he could do. So we had to start over with somebody completely new. So right. it's that kind of like stop and go process of kind of piecing things together of like, okay, we need this and then we need that and then we need this, but I'm not an expert in really anything, but I'm not an expert <laughs> in everything. You know, like we had to hire people outside to do pieces of the project and that putting you know, individual contractors all together and trying to facilitate the communication of that all together um, is really difficult. And not having in-house engineers to build everything. I think for a startup, you can't have everything in-house because you, you don't have the like management time, number one, or the funds. And it doesn't really make sense because you need expertise, a little bit of expertise in a lot of different areas. So it makes more sense for me. Like I learned this later because I was trying to do everything on the cheap and hire people that were, that weren't too expensive to do all of these little jobs. But mm -hmm. I learned later that it was way more worth our time and our money to hire people that cost a lot more money, but actually could do it well. So we didn't have to remake everything every couple months. Thanks. Did that answer your question? Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I, I can see how like a, a product that's so like technologically driven has a lot of different like steps to it and prototypes. So it's really interesting. Yeah, and that's something that I'm sure if anybody's in um, business classes right now or entrepreneurship classes that they talk about is just getting a minimum viable product out there, getting an MVP out there. I mean, even this product that we released and got to market there's 10 million things I want to change about this right now. You know, like it is not as small as I want it. It's not as adjustable as I want it. There's so many things I want to change, but just getting something out to market that works and then understanding what features are actually going to be beneficial and what do I just want to do for fun <laughs> um, is super beneficial. So I would underscore that a lot of the benefit of just getting something out to people and then making changes I think is huge. Thank you so much. Camille, I think you're back up. 
sorry for the immediate second question. Mm-hmm. Uh, so pitching to when you were pitching to investors, how do you pitch the uh, monetary value of the um, of this uh, freezing of the gate device? How do I pitch? What do you mean by that? Oh, so when you're uh, when you're pitching, um, uh, what's like the hardest challenge about explaining it to investors? Um, what's the hardest challenge about explaining it to investors? I think the biggest concern that I get from investors is, um, people get really uncomfortable with direct to consumer medical devices because they assume that, um, a medical device should be covered by insurance. And so people won't pay cash for a medical device, but we haven't seen that at all. We haven't had any problem with cash pay. Um, So that's the number one concern that I got from people is if it's not covered by insurance, no one's going to purchase it. And then another one was uh, IP, intellectual property. We're making something that's really, really simple. That's really, really easy to replicate. Um, And so how can our investors make sure that this isn't just going to be built by someone else and they're going to take over the market because they have more resources than we do. Um, so we had to spend a lot of time and a lot of money on a really expensive IP council to build out. We have a couple of different patents behind this device now. Was that your question? I'm not sure if that actually answered your question or not. Yeah. Okay. But in, in general, just talking about the monetary value of the company, you know, we pitch like this is what we're going after right now. Here's the total available market. Here's our growth strategy, all of that. So I kind of pitch the opportunity in stages of this is where we are right. This is where we are right now. Here's our total available market in the U.S. with this specific neurologic disease. Here's our total available market globally, and here's the opportunity for growth. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I'm happy. I can also pull up our pitch and go through it with you guys if that's interesting to you. Thank you. All right, sweet. Uh, yeah. You, uh, in the meantime, uh, Kenny, if you want to go for it. Sure. Yeah. Thanks again for coming in, Sydney. Um, question that I and I think in the chat, Edward also had. We were wondering, like, with all of the capital and all the funding, how have you decided how to divide it and break it down between like different departments and whatnot? Hmm, good question. Um, it's, I mean, it's really just based on need, right? So we spend a lot, uh, like the first fundraising round that we did, a large majority of that went to product development because that was the biggest, um, like depending on the stage that you're at, we are prioritizing different things. So the first six months of the company, the first year of the company was all product development. It was all, we're spending our resources on materials, we're spending our resources on engineers, a little bit on IP, uh, like uh, getting patents, but not too much Um, and not anything on advertising or, or marketing or anything like that. We weren't spending any money there. Now we're spending a large majority, you know, we finished the product. Yes, we're still spending money on manufacturing, but not so much product development. We're spending a large majority of our money on marketing, on Facebook ads, Google ads, 
you know, uh, getting the device out to making sure that people know about the device, um, different ways. We're spending money on videos, on marketing collateral and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, because that's the stage of the company that we're at right now, um, where, you know, we have inventory, we have a product that works, we have research partners getting studies to do, um, to get insurance coverage. But what we really need to figure out is how do we sell to people in a scalable and cost efficient way? How do we get our customer acquisition costs down? All that. So that's where a majority of our resources are going right now. Got it. Thank you. Did that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Edward, did that also answer? I mean, it was relatively the same thing, but there, was there anything? <laughs> yes, that did. Thank you. Okay, sweet. Uh, Anvita, go for it. Hi, Sydney. My question was, um, were there any specific rules or regulations you had to follow while making your device because it's used in like the healthcare medical field? Yes. So we are a medical device, class one, exempt from FDA approval. Um, but we do have to follow a quality management system. It's called ISO 13485 is the quality standard that we have to follow. Uh, not that that means anything to any of you, but um, that doesn't mean anything to me either. But <laughs> we have a, a quality management uh, system in place that we have to follow. So th there's documentation standards for that for all of our engineers. They have to document everything that's happening. Um, if we ever get any um, complaints about the product, that needs to be documented. We have a whole uh, system that we had to put in place for um, if we get a complaint about something, it has to go through this testing, it has to go through um, a process to determine whether our customers are at harm or not. As a medical device, if there's anything going wrong that could harm our customers, we have to recall all the devices. Um, so there's, we have a pretty rigorous quality management system in place. Um, it's more rigorous than it needs to be for the US, but to be able to sell in the EU, we have to follow this quality management system. So yeah, that was really overwhelming to get set up, especially at the beginning, because you're like automatically putting in all this red tape when you just want to like go, 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 go as fast as you can as a startup. You're like, we're a small team. We can do this really fast, really quickly. But you're like putting red tape around yourself and making it slower because you have to follow the quality management system. Um, so luckily we have a contractor that handles all of that for us and she trains us on all of the systems. She teaches us how to do all of it. And I just kind of do what she tells me to do. So it's really fun for me. That's so interesting. Thank you. Yeah. Sophie. Hi, Sydney. Thanks for coming back to CPE. Always interesting to hear from you. Uh, my question this time is how did you shift um, from a mainly technical background um, with BMED to the role of a CEO, which kind of does all sorts of things. Yeah, um, that was really hard. It was <laughs> really, really difficult. Um, how did I do it? A lot of it had to do with um, the workshops that we did in the accelerator. That helped a lot. Um, introducing a lot of new concepts, a lot of new ways of thinking. It's a very, very, very different way of thinking on the business side than on the engineering side. Um, but generally, I've found that I can use the same skills that I've learned my whole life in engineering and math and science courses in terms of, you know, 
what is the information given? What equations do we have? And how can we use those to get a solution? Um, it's generally the same thing in all different aspects. Uh, for me, I think of business problems the same way. What information do we have? You know, what resources do we have to figure out the correct answer and getting to an answer? I'm uncomfortable in the fact that it's much, much, much less concrete, <laughs> but, but I guess you kind of get used to that after a while. Um, it definitely was a hard transition though. I, I'm very, I'm very math and science brained. I'm not a business person. I am not a salesperson. Um, and trying to change the way that I think about things and trying to be comfortable with uncertainty, uh, was really, really hard to learn. And I relied a lot on my co-founder William to help me with that. And also my advisors have been absolutely amazing. I think that is the, the biggest thing that has helped is just talking to my advisors about everything. Interesting. Yeah, I'm sure it, it was a challenge. You see a lot of people though who are really successful who have some combination of business and entrepreneur and business and engineering mindsets though. Um, but thank you. Yeah, I think in some way it helps. I think of things very analytically and, you know, I've heard the best salespeople are very data driven. You know, the best salespeople are not just like, I feel like this is the answer. They go out, they do customer surveys, they do research and they take that data and make a decision with it. So um, I can do that. <laughs> I'm very, I'm a very data driven person, but ultimately, I mean, I know that I have strengths and I have weaknesses and I hire people around me that have my weaknesses as their strengths. So I am, I'm absolutely not a salesperson. I am very execution driven. I'm not very like big idea, you know, like I was pushed to start this company. I would not have started it on my own if I didn't feel the responsibility of needing to and seeing where it could go is really hard for me. Um, my co-founder William is very futuristic he's very likes to plan everything likes to imagine where something can go and set the plan in place to do that and then we just hired this um sales guy jerry who has 25 years in medical device field has been doing sales forever and is a very he's he's very salesy he's very like can think big picture is like can relate to everybody is loves to talk to people loves to just get on the phone and, and call people he keeps wanting to go into hospitals i'm like jerry it's covid you can't <laughs> go to hospitals <laughs> um but so i think i'm it's definitely doable um and i think the biggest way to succeed as somebody I don't even necessarily think I can generalize that to all engineers or all technical minded people, but as me knowing my own strengths and my own weaknesses, there are things that I'm good at. There's things that I'm not good at and understanding this is something I'm spending a lot of time looking into right now is understanding how to use each of our team members strengths to their fullest and hiring out the rest. Yeah, it sounds like you kind of guys complement each other very well. I think so. The the idea behind, I don't know if you guys have heard of like the Clifton Strengths Finders, the Clifton Strengths Assessment. The whole idea behind their con the Clifton's concept is 
you want to build a well-rounded team, not a well-rounded person. Like individuals have strengths and you should use those strengths um, and get a team together that has different strengths so that you can complement each other. It makes communication very difficult because you think about things very differently, but it'll make you a better team in that. So that's what I'm kind of trying to work around. Okay, thanks. I'll let the next person go on. Um, for sure. Uh, David, you're up, but you asked, you asked another question, which was fave ways to network during the pandemic. Uh, real quick, just a little pause in the meeting. If you're looking to talk to anyone or meet anyone new, feel free to stick around after the meeting, uh, as officers usually do. Uh, so yeah, that's just a little quick, like intermission, I guess. All right. Dave, <laughs> awesome. Hey, Zed, good to see you again. Um, my question was, did you guys have revenue when you were raising your Seagram? Oh, absolutely not. We had no revenue until April of 2020. And that's actually after, so we raised 500,000 and then we raised a million. We didn't have any revenue until after both of those were raised. Interesting. Okay. What instrument did you use to raise that? Was that on like safe or? The convertible note for the first 500,000. Mm -hmm. And we did a preferred stock for, we did an equity round for the million. Interesting. So you did an equity round pre-revenue? Yes, correct. Impressive. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Lane, take it away. Hey, Sydney. Thanks for being here. Uh, my question has to do with uh, the ethical considerations behind pricing this device. How did you mediate social impact with um, profitability? That is a great question, Lane, because I struggled with this so, so much because I, if it, if, it were, if it were me by myself, I'd give this thing out for free. My investors would hate me, but it's true. I had, I, my co-founder and I have had long discussions about this um, and very heated disagreements about this topic. <laughs> um, but it is, it is really hard. It is really hard to figure out. Um, and, but what I realized is if we don't have the profit margin to be able to run as a company, it doesn't help anyone, right? So I had to kind of change my yeah. mindset around, around feeling guilty making money off of somebody to we need to be able to make money to get this out to more people. Um, but I, I made sure it's always been a priority of mine to make sure that anybody um, regardless of their financial situation can get this device. Uh, and so before we launched our product, we had, uh, we developed a partnership with the Parkinson's wellness fund where it's a Parkinson's foundation that will actually cover the cost for anybody who needs financial assistance. So we can, people who can afford it will spend $500 on the device. People who can't afford it go through the Parkinson's wellness fund and the Parkinson's wellness fund will subsidize it for them. So we can still run as a company. We still get the profit margin that we need to be able to sustain ourselves and grow and we can get it out to people who might not be in a financial situation to be able to spend five hundred dollars on a device yeah definitely i'm sure i'm sure that eases your uh, your worries in that regard that's interesting just out of curiosity when you presented to investors funding doesn't seem to be an issue for you but what was the market value you guys were chasing uh the market share you guys were trying to catch this product the in monetary market, terms the market share or our 
like how many people um yeah valuation so we did that this meeting is being recorded is this going to be published anywhere <laughs> i'll tell you guys but this isn't public information we can Was go ahead in the b or, or in the um we can we can edit it out yeah we can go ahead and edit that part out okay okay uh we gotcha thank you but it's not public information <laughs> do not share that but i'm happy for learning purposes i'm happy to share that with you guys uh thank you for that um david was your second question about networking uh just a public question for the chat or was that for sydney uh, a bit of both um i'd love to hear sydney's thoughts on it though okay and then go for it go ahead um i've done two networking events that were actually really, really cool. Um, but they, I mean, it wasn't planned by me. I just kind of showed up and, and did it and met some really cool people at it. One of them was hosted by the um, MIT Entrepreneurship Forum in Santa Barbara. They did a medical device technology forum. And after that, that forum, they had I don't even know, I don't remember what the technology was called, but it was a software that was already built and you are a bubble, like your face is in a bubble and you're like floating around. And the closest, when you get closer to people, you can hear them. And when you get farther away from people, you can't hear them anymore. So you just kind of like, you're like a bubble and you move yourself with the arrows to who you want to talk to. And, um, yeah, that was really fun. So I met, I met some cool people through there. And then I did, I don't know if any of you guys know what the JP Morgan conference is in San Francisco. It's a big medical device conference. Um, we usually go to that every year, but we didn't this year because, you know, COVID. Um, and they had a really cool networking platform as well that was hosted by uh, this law firm that does events. And you can just basically go through and request a meeting with people and then it'll automatically set up a 20 minute intro meeting between you and whoever it is that you want to connect with. So that was really fun too. Awesome. Uh, are you on Clubhouse? I'm not. Somebody recently invited me to that and I have no idea what it is. Should I be on it? It's, it's pretty awesome right now. It's a really relatively small community for a social media. It's pretty neat. You'll get in a room with only like 400 people on there and there's like really big names just casually talking with everyone it's pretty cool maybe i should be on clubhouse all right um i think ali is next if i skip anyone call me out i i have one question um i'm really like intrigued by the fact that you got like really awesome rounds like seed like a really awesome round of seed funding pre-revenue so how difficult was it to persuade people to invest like in like a pre-revenue company? How was, how did that work? Um, honestly, I feel really lucky that um, fundraising wasn't a huge issue for us. Um, I think we have a, we have a story that people care about. We have a, a issue that people care about. Everybody knows somebody with Parkinson's um, that's been affected. The video, I show videos of people experiencing freezing of gate and then them being able to walk with our device. That's a very um, emotional pull for people. Um, the first thing that pulls 
investors in is the heart, is the emotion, is all of that. So um, the heart, the head, and the wallet are like the three things that you need to be able to so we have the heart we have the emotion you know everybody has a connection to parkinson's and then you get into the head does it make sense how does it work is there data there and then the wallet you tell them you you explain how they're gonna make a lot of money basically you explain that there's a, a very big market share um if you have those three things in your presentation you won't have any problem fundraising thank you Fundraising is really like a, it's a story. It's, it's telling a story. It's, it's conveying information clearly. It took me a really, really, really long time to get the pitch down. But once I got it down, it wasn't that difficult. I don't know. I don't know if that really helped at all, but. No, that was helpful. Thank you. Uh, Kaylin. Yeah. Hey, Sydney. So you've been involved with, you know, the different programs at, at Cal Poly and gone through the accelerator and you've, you know, you're one of the, the more prominent teams or you're one of the teams kind of still standing after three or four years. So I'm just curious, kind of, what do you think um, you guys did differently or, or, you know, why do you think you guys are still, still here today as compared to, you know, the other teams? That's a really hard question to answer. Um, I don't know. I should know the answer to this. Let me think about that. Um, okay, I think that one, we have really engaged, really helpful advisors. We got people on board that have expertise in all the different areas that we need them to, and we got them involved. We have monthly meetings with our investor, sorry, with our advisors. Um, we, you know, I, I work with them individually on different topics as well. Um, and that's probably one of the most helpful things is having a really close, really engaged relationship with our advisors. Um, I think we've also been really lucky to have super supportive, super engaged investors. All of our investors, I put out um, a quarterly investor update um, every single time I put out an ask. I put out, these are the connections that we need. Uh, this is what we're looking for in the next quarter can you introduce us to these people or can you help us in this way? Can you help answer this question for us? Do you have any feedback for us on this thing? I always have an ask at the end of that. And uh, most of my investors will respond to that and reach out and help us. I think using the network and using the resources that we have um, is probably a big factor why we're still, still around. Um, I feel really lucky to have. I mean, I can't explain to you how many times I've heard people that are in my position when COVID hit saying, oh my God, like my investors won't stop calling me and yelling at me that things aren't going right. And, you know, we're not hitting our numbers. We're not doing this, we're not doing this. And I have no control over it. Um, and that can add a lot of stress to a founder. Whereas, you know, the only calls that I got from my investors were people calling me saying, hey, Sydney, no, this is a really hard time. What can I do to help you? Uh, what do you need right now? 
And that was really amazing. I feel really, really lucky to have the investors that I do. Yeah, thanks. It's, it's great to hear. Sophie. Since you have a few more minutes, um, I had a kind of a follow up to Caitlin's question and my question. Um, how many, how big is your team um, today actually starting from just you and, and your, your co-founder? Um, and then kind of, can you elaborate on kind of how you built that team out with, with the different strengths that you were mentioning? Yeah, and that's actually a good point. I Once I stopped talking, I remembered another thing that I wanted to add to that answer is, <laughs> is the team. I think actually the biggest, I mean, I'm sure you all know this. I'm sure you've heard this before. The biggest reason why uh, a startup fails is because of issues with the founders. Um, communication between founders, between early team members, um, arguments, disagreements between early founders, that's the number one reason why startups fail. Um, and so I think I'm really lucky to have a really great co-founder who started this company with me. Um, and, or I, I had two co-founders. We all worked really, really well together. We all communicated really well together. Um, you know, we don't think the same. We, we disagree on a lot of things, but I think we've always been able to communicate about that and respect each other's opinions, even if we don't agree with it. Um, and so I think that is probably a, a big reason as well, is that one, we all have, we all have an external reason to be doing this. It's not about the money. It's not about the recognition or whatever reason that people do startups. It's about, you know, I have a connection to Parkinson's. I care about this product getting out to people. I've seen I have a personal relationship with the people that it's helping and that motivates me every day to keep going. Will has a personal relationship with this. Everybody that works in the company cares about what it is that we're doing um, and we'll push through the hard times because of that. So I think that's probably another big reason. Um, so to answer your question, Sophie, um, how do we build out the team? Well, so I told you how I met my co-founder was at, in an MBA class. Um, let's see, who did we hire after that? Our first hire, I believe, was Vanessa. Vanessa is the director of our supply chain. Actually, she just got promoted to director of manufacturing. Um, and she has amazing experience. She worked at Apple and Cisco and ran supply chain and business operations there. Um, and then she was, she owned Lewis Wine Bar. I don't know if you guys know that wine bar downtown. It just closed in COVID, but she owned that wine bar. And I came in to do a presentation at her wine bar. And she came up to me afterwards saying, hey, I have um, manufacturing experience if you ever need help let me know. And I grabbed her and I was like, yes, I need help. Help me right now, please. Um, and so we got her working part-time for us while, while she was still running the bar and now she's on our team. Um, so Vanessa, and then we have Jerry is our salesperson. Um, we found him, we just put out an ad on LinkedIn, uh, interviewed 30 people. 
um, went through a couple rounds of interviews and then found Jerry and he's an absolute gem. I'm so excited to have him on board. Um, and then most of the people that we work with are just, we found through our network. So uh, we found the person that runs, so the person that put together our quality management system and then the person that runs our quality management system right now, both of them we met through other entrepreneurs that had um, done the hot house before. So I don't know if you guys know who Jesse Becker is. She started Olivia Health. She's the one that introduced me to our quality management system people now. So a lot of the people that we found, we found through our network. The only person that we didn't find through the network was uh, Jerry who we found on LinkedIn. Okay, awesome. Thanks for elaborating. Right, that have, yeah, sorry. Oh yeah, well, good. Okay. Uh, we have one question left, but we have a few announcements. Um, maybe we can get a speed answer in because it is the last one. Uh, Michelle, do you want to ask your question? Yeah, this will be, I think, a quick one. But I was just going to ask, um, going back to you disagreeing with your co-founder, but being, so I was curious if you are able to like respectfully disagree with them, how can you carry out and maintain like business operations in that way? Uh, what do you mean? Like if you disagree, if you want to, let's say like you have some sort of idea, like um, I don't know, you want to do some sort of new manufacturing operation or whatever, and your co-founder disagrees with you. How do you guys reach a consensus basically is what I'm trying to ask and be able to like disagree, but still be able to operate and like have your business evolve if you disagree. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk about it until we agree on something basically, or one of us agrees. I don't agree with that, but we can do a test to figure out whether you're right about this. Like, for example, we disagreed on, um, I like to put a lot of research in, uh, and a lot of data in our marketing material and will likes to, to make it a lot, a lot simpler and a lot more straightforward. And so we disagreed about that. So we made both of them. We made both the marketing collateral and we sent them out to people and we tested it. We tested what the efficacy was of each one. Um, and as always, he was right that we shouldn't put all the data and all the research in it. And I was wrong. And so we, we set up tests to, to figure it out if, but most of the, most of the time, you know, I'll say something and he'll question it and say, you know, I don't, I disagree with this topic because of these things and instead of getting defensive and being like oh how dare you disagree with me william um, i instead i turned to him and say oh great can you tell me more like what what do you mean by that and addressing each question with curiosity instead of getting defensive um is how you kind of like you know me and will think about things very differently and so being able to understand what is it that he's seen that i'm not seeing um, is really helpful and usually we end up coming to it.